Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. Before we get to today's teaching, just wanted to keep you updated on a few things happening in the life of our community. First of all, as always, if you consider yourself to be a part of the South Bend City Church community, you can give. It's through your generosity that we're able to do what we do, from keeping the lights on in the building to helping find kid curriculum for our kiddos and for doing the podcast. It's through your generosity that we exist, and so we say thank you. And if you're looking to give today, you can do that by going into the show notes below or going to southbendcitychurch.com slash give. Along the lines of generosity, one way that you guys have showed up in your generosity is through the Tribune Project, and we are so excited to move into the Tribune. And we've actually started demolition, so before it gets too crazy in there, we're going to take a minute to meet in that space together and consecrate it. Basically, that just means setting it apart, dreaming, visioning about how it can be used in holy ways that honor everyone in the community of South Bend. That event is going to be happening on Thursday, June 1st from 7 to 9 p.m. Doors will open at 6.30. There will be a really short gathering at 7, and the rest of the time is there for you to explore the building, dream about what could happen in that space and just a time for us to spend together. We hope that you're able to join us. A couple notes about that. If you've got children from birth through second grade, this is not a safe space for them to be. Because of that, we're offering childcare at Studebaker 112, so make sure to keep that in mind. If you have kids from third grade up, just know that it is an active construction zone and you are responsible for your kids. We would love to have them join us, but make sure that you keep an eye on them when they're there. Another thing to keep in mind is that the entire building does not currently live up to our accessibility standards. We look forward to making it accessible for all during the renovation process, but right now, the only accessibility option is a ramp into the main floor. So we would love to have you join us, just know that the entire building might be a little challenging to get around. Also, speaking of exciting, there's some really great opportunities for our students to get involved, 6th through 12th grade and they're coming up this summer. The entire summer schedule is available on our website under the What's Happening section. It'll be in the show notes below as well. But just know that this coming Sunday, May 28th, we are using this as an opportunity to welcome our fifth graders into the student tables world. And we're also using it to give warm wishes and celebrate the 12th graders that are graduating this year. If you live in the South Bend area and would like to be a part of that, it's a student family potluck. So the entire family is invited if you have a student. If you have questions, please email students at southbendcitychurch.com. And like I said, check out the rest of the cool opportunities happening this summer for our students. Speaking of tables, we approached the table this weekend together in a practice called the Eucharist. You may know it as communion, and we would love for you to join us in that when we get there. Now, you may be asking yourself, who's allowed to come to the table? I would just say that if you want to be at the table with Jesus, we believe at South Bend City Church that you can be at the table with Jesus. So if you want to join us in that practice when we get there at the end of the gathering, make sure to have some form of bread or cracker and some form of juice or wine with you. Now today, we continue on in our Old Creed New World series, and we come to the line of the creed that says the resurrection of the body. When the creed looks ahead to the future— It teaches us to expect, and it speaks of the resurrection of bodies. And we ask ourselves, if bodies are so beloved by God that God will raise them up in the end, then how should we honor them right now? We're so thankful that you chose to join us today. We're so grateful that you're a part of our community. Let's join in with the rest of our community now. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jason. If we haven't met, I'd love to catch you afterwards. I'm one of the pastors here. 
And I thought for this part of our gathering, we would start by getting to know each other, by hearing your response to a hypothetical. So before I describe the hypothetical to you, I know that what I'm about to say might get you a little rattled, so let me tell you before I even explain the situation, that in the hypothetical I'm describing, there are no persons or pets at risk, okay? There are no bodies at risk in the situation I'm describing. That being said, imagine after this, this gathering right now, you go home and when you get to your home, you discover that your home is on fire. You get there, the fire department's already there. They're trying to manage the fire that is burning down your home, your possessions, everything inside, except for the pets because they're out and they're safe. And bizarrely, uh, in an act that seems a little bit incautious, the fire department says to you, 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 you can go in and get one thing out if you want. They just, you know, they throw like the, the gear on you so that you've got some fire protection and you have a chance to run into your home and rescue one object from your house. What is it going to be? Talk to me. What's that? Animals. I'm saying pets are already safe even. Let's say that all the pets are out, they're good. What else? I'll let you think about it. Pictures? Sorry? Photo albums? Your dead grandma's jacket. Yeah, kind of heirloom history there. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Trish said she has a book of prayers that her friends wrote for her on her 21st birthday. You wouldn't want to lose that. Yeah, right on. Once somebody starts dropping like books of prayers and Bibles, it's hard to talk about other things, but let's keep it real. Keep going. What else? Amazing. Momentum from animals that have passed. I, I thought one of my answers was going to be, I've got the, the clay paw print when I said that in my golden retriever and they, they send that to you in the mail. Yeah, that would definitely be on my list. Uh, over here. Oh, wow. If you didn't hear that, a quilt that his late mother quilted for him while she was in the later stages of her cancer. Yeah. Similarly, uh, a blanket that my daughter's first mom made for her. Oh, wow. A blanket that her daughter's first mom made for her. I guess it would on the blanket thing. Yeah. <laughs> a quilt that my maternal grandmother made for my mom, and she passed away six years before I was born. A quilt that Angela's maternal grandmother made for Angela's mom. The grandmother passed away six years before you were born. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Amazing. Uh, notes that her friends wrote to her before she moved to the United States. They have words of encouragement, promises from God. Yeah, very special. Your meds, yeah, come on, yeah, amazing, amazing, yes, yes, Imara, amazing, yeah, back there. Your journals, nice, over here. Nice, uh, like a like a like a plant pot, good, because we a cooking pot, right on. When you said pot, I just was trying to clarify what we were talking about. <laughs> a cooking pot that was your grandma's, awesome. Your dad's ashes, yeah. Your computer, photos, yeah. Photos, records, records absolutely. Yeah, we know who the practical thinker is in the house. That's good. Yeah, what else? I'd also bring my laptop. Mm -hmm. It has family tree information. Oh, wow, laptop. It has family tree information on it. Yeah. 
Oh, wow, charcoal artwork that your daughter did of all your, all, all your kids. Amazing. Yeah. Yes? I have a blanket that my daughter made for us that have the pictures of my deceased mother and father. Oh, wow. A blanket that your daughter made for you with images of your deceased mom and dad? Yep. Amazing. Yeah. What else? Over here, anybody? Over here? All right. I actually, oh, yeah, right here. We'll wrap it up here. As much of your art as you could carry. What's your medium, if I can ask? Uh, I paint on paper, so it would all certainly burn. Yeah, if she paints on paper, it would all certainly burn. Yeah, good to rescue that. Uh, because I knew the assignment in advance, I brought my actual answer for show and tell. This is one of five volumes. Uh, this book was printed 120 years ago. Um, it's, it's actually Teddy Roosevelt's The Winning of the West, which, to be fair, is kind of problematically told as history. <laughs> There's a lot of problems in how he tells history. But uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, my brother and I were in Grove City, Ohio at my grandparents' house. Uh, my grandmother was in the late stages of her dementia, and my grandfather was trying to kind of tidy up and deal with some loose ends as they were moving into the last seasons of their lives. And I remember my grandfather, who uh, was always really into books and history and learning, and that's kind of one of the legacies that I feel like my dad and I both inherited from him. I remember he grabbed this stack of five books off the shelf and handed it to me and said, here, take these. And I didn't really know what it was at first until I opened it. And it's like a first edition, and the five volumes sit in my bookshelf uh, next to a picture of my late grandfather uh, working in his boat uh, from back in the days when we went camping together. So this would certainly be uh, on my list. Now, the reason I raised the question is it's fun to get to know each other. And you find out what matters when you watch what gets rescued. Right? I mean, it's pretty clear as we talked about the things that we would run into the house to grab, that you're revealing something about what matters to you, about what your affections are, about what your values are, about the things that make a difference to you, right? You think through a, a home full of possessions. There's lots of stuff in most of our homes. But for a lot of us, a few things rise to the top as the things that we would want to rescue or pull out of that experience, right? And I raised all of that uh, because of where we're at in the creed. Uh, for months now, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, this ancient document that comes to us from the church that narrates scripture and helps us think about the story that we are living in. Uh, we're in the last article, the last part of the Apostles' Creed. And where we are today is where the creed actually turns and looks forward to a future. Uh, I'll connect all of this as we look at this. This is the, the last article of the creed, uh, the whole third of the creed that speaks of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And today, specifically, the line that we're looking at is we believe in the resurrection of the body. We just did that exercise about what would you rescue, what would you pull out, what would you carry forward with you if you couldn't carry everything forward with you. And the creed points toward a future, toward a story where bodies are resurrected, where bodies are raised up, where bodies are carried forward. This is a, this is a really big deal. Now, and it, may, it may not sound like groundbreaking theology to you, but let me tell you that at the time that Christian faith was being birthed into the world, in the, in the ancient world, it was a radical and not widely accepted idea that bodies and matter are good. There's a lot of threads of philosophy and spirituality in the ancient world that said that bodies and matter are bad. Uh, there's whole stories of like where all this comes from. In some of those stories, the, the physical material world that we have here is an act of collateral damage that happened through divine conflict rather than 
a created world that is intended to be good and beautiful. But the creed all along, not just with the resurrection of the body, the creed all through has been saying that matter is good and that bodies are good. When the creed says we believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, the creed saying we believe that all this material world is intended to be here. It's not an accident. It's not collateral damage and divine conflict. It's not something to escape. It's not something where salvation takes us away from matter. Rather, salvation includes matter. You get to the part of the creed that talks about Jesus, and we read that God inhabited matter, that God inhabited a body. And now we get to this last part of the creed where we look forward to the resurrection of the body, which is another way of saying that matter matters, that bodies matter. Now, uh, it turns out this resurrection stuff, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of us is really central to the way that the earliest Christians understood what they had experienced in Jesus and like, what it means to be a person of faith in the world. It's not uh, like a footnote in their doctrine. It's right there at the center of it. One example of this comes from 1 Corinthians 15. So if you're in the New Testament and you're looking through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, those are the biographies of Jesus, and then you get to the book of Acts, which is the story of the church, and then you get to all the letters in the New Testament, like Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and all that, right? Well, it turns out that 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul writes to Christians in the city of Corinth, has within it what most scholars believe is the earliest distillation of the gospel. Like it's actually written earlier than the Gospels were written down. So you, here you're like at ground zero for some of the earliest teaching about what is the good news that we've received in Jesus. And that happens specifically in chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. And let me show you what Paul says in part of 1 Corinthians 15. We'll pick up here. He says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, that he's been resurrected, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, or he, sorry, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins." Then those who also have fallen asleep, that's a kind of a euphemism for those who have died. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul's doing a little bit of argumentative work here, but he's basically saying, look, you either believe in resurrection or you don't. And if you have a resurrected Christ, then you have resurrection for all of us. And if you have resurrection for all of us, you have a resurrected Christ. But if you don't have a resurrection, you don't have a resurrection. And he says our, our faith is built on the idea that bodies will be raised up, that, that our material lives will actually somehow get carried forward into the good world that God wants to keep building. Uh, right there, it's not like a footnote in the doctrine of the church. The resurrection of bodies is at the very heart of what the creed is telling us that we can trust. Now, this raises all kinds of questions about our relationship to bodies, as individuals, uh, as a society, and even in the church. A lot of us have really complicated relationships with bodies, right? And it's not just that we individually have a complicated relationship with our bodies, it's that we live in a world that fosters all kinds of really complicated and often very like un unhelpful and unhealthy relationships with our bodies. 
But if we started with the premise that you and I began with, which is that you find out what matters by watching what gets rescued, and if bodies get rescued, then bodies matter, and it matters that we learn how to love the fact that we live in bodies. Like any way of like loving and being faithful that doesn't include questions about how to honor the body is missing something, right? Now, uh, I've been learning about this and thinking about this all week, and it seems that there is at least a couple of big categories for the ways that we dishonor bodies. A couple of sort of big categories you could use. One of the categories for how we dishonor bodies is when we exploit them. And another way of how we dishonor bodies, another category for dishonoring the body is when we ignore them. Let's talk about those two moves for a moment. When it comes to exploiting bodies, I mean, it doesn't take a, a genius to look around and recognize that we've crafted a world where we idolize or even fetishize certain visions of human bodies. And those visions of human bodies are practically inhumane, right? They're, um, they're artificially, unnaturally uh, sort of portrayed. Uh, very, very particular visions or ideals of a human body are the ones that get blasted over media and social media. And a lot of us really wrestle with the fact that our bodies don't look like those bodies, and that can create really, really harmful effects. This is, this is a, a view of a body as something to be exploited, right? We could go through other iterations in human history of different ways that different kinds of bodies have been seen not as good vessels that are meant to be honored, but as objects that could be exploited. Now, the other move that can happen is rather than exploiting bodies, we ignore them. And curiously, this seems to actually be a trend in particular in religious spaces. Now, I'm not entirely sure why that happens. I think one thing that happens in religious spaces is we see the kind of superficial vision of the body, the the fetishization of certain ideals of the body, the exploitation of the body, and we, we recognize that that's bad or, or harmful, but rather than creating a more redemptive relationship with the body, we just ignore it. Uh, interesting, if you, if you do the, the digging in on uh, Google on this, you'll find out there's like very hard data, very clear data, that people who participate regularly in religious environments and communities tend to, act, they, they tend to score better on measures of like mental health and social health, but they score lower on measures of physical health. Like our religious spaces are actually breeding a mindset where we don't tend to our bodies. And maybe that's a reaction against the kind of superficial um, sort of exploitation of the body where we demand that bodies be beautiful through certain standards of beauty or slim through certain standards. Right? So maybe we want to react against that and we just ignore it, but I don't think ignoring bodies is working either. Because that's certainly not loving the fact that we live in a body. I mean, that's certainly not honoring the fact that we live in a body. Now, let me be a little more um, self-disclosing about this tension between exploiting bodies and ignoring bodies, between demanding that our bodies live up to certain inhuman standards on the one hand, or ignoring the fact that we live in bodies that God calls good. Let's talk about that for a bit, and I'll tell you just a little bit of my own story. So um, through personality and wiring and human experience, like I've had to work hard to come home to my body and to embrace the fact that I live in a body. Uh, I've got a personality type, I'm kind of a head type just by nature. Um, I, my, my temptation is to think that my body's sole purpose is as a vehicle for my brain so that my brain can walk around and do the things my brain wants to do. My brother growing up used to call me a mouth with legs. <laughs> You're not allowed to use that, he's already claimed that. 
So some of it's just kind of core personality type. I tend to want to live in my head and ignore my body. Some of it's experience, though. Uh, I was the runt in every grade of school. So my birth date kind of falls in that place where I was either going to be a little older and maybe a little bit bigger than all the kids in kindergarten, or I was going to be younger and a little smaller. And we ended up going with the younger, smaller approach. And so I was always a little bit behind physically, not to mention the fact that I'm just really not athletic. I'm not very coordinated. And so for years, places like the playground, the soccer field, and gym class were terrifying for me. I mean, they were just places of embarrassment and failure where bigger, stronger, more coordinated kids had an advantage over me. And that was like a really unsafe experience for me, right? So I have not only this sort of general wiring uh, around it, but I have these, these school experiences that make me a little more insecure about the body. And then I also had some childhood trauma that was very much experienced in my body. And when your body carries around trauma, sometimes you want to live divorced from all of that rather than interact with it, right? However, uh, in my like, college years and adult life, I've discovered that coming home to my body is a really important part of integrating and healing. It's an important part of my life with God. Side note, whoever you are, however you are wired, it's important to recognize that like, we, we like to think that our life with God is going to be experienced in all of our favorite places and in our default modes. But a lot of your life with God is actually waiting for you when you move into the other parts of your life. Right? Like for me, that means moving into the body. That's actually a movement toward a more integrated life with God. Like for some of you, um, the body is the easiest place for you to meet with God. So it might be like sitting still and being quiet. That would be the growth curve for you. We all have those kind of custom callings for where we're going to meet God. But for me, for all of these reasons, it's been important for me to kind of come home to my body and to experience it as a gift that I want to steward and live uh, in a kind of loving relationship with, right? So all that's been with me, and I've, I've found a lot of different ways to try to make that move, but I'm still working it through. I still have these old scripts that have been with me from the beginning, right? And this brings me to a trip that I took for work just a couple of months ago. I was down in Austin, Texas. And I was down there for work doing some learning, and while I was in Austin, Texas, I was staying with my friends Austin and Amelia. It's confusing, Austin lives in Austin. Just try to keep track of this, okay? So my friends Austin and Amelia, who I first met when they were members of South and City Church. They were here for one year when Amelia was doing a graduate program at Notre Dame, and now they've moved back to Austin, which is their hometown, and they were really gracious to host me so I had a place to stay while I was down in Austin for this event. So anyway, I'm hanging out with Austin and Amelia in Austin. And the other thing that you need to know about Austin and Amelia is not only are they young, they're like 24 years old, but Austin was a starting football player at Northwestern. And he's just 24. And he keeps working out, okay? So like, know all of that about Austin and Amelia before we get to the part of the story that was hard for me, which is when they said, hey, Jay, at the end of all the work stuff that you've got going on today, you want to go to hot yoga with us? <laughs> My first thought is like... Well, if I tell you exactly what I thought, it won't be appropriate for the stage. But <laughs> the, uh, the appropriate version is heck no, right? But then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm learning to take risks. I'm learning to, like, go into those environments specifically that call for the body in ways that I might want to avoid. And so I'm like, I'm saying yes to life. Let's do it, right? Let's go to hot yoga. The other thing that you need to know about me is my body runs hot. Like, I start sweating when it's about 68 degrees in the room. Seriously. Yeah, there's a few of you out there, right? You know what I'm talking about. So hot yoga has all these reasons not to go, but I go. I'm nervous. I'm socially insecure. I'm physically uncertain about what's, what's about to happen. And we walk into hot yoga down there in Austin, and I just kind of, like, follow along with what everybody else is doing. So everybody else goes over and grabs a yoga mat that you can, like, borrow for the class. And I grab a yoga mat. And then I come over here, and we're all rolling out the yoga mats. And so I get down, and I roll out my yoga mat. And then all the guys take off their shirts. 
So I take off my shirt and then I look up and there's a full wall of mirrors. And 24-year-old D1 college athlete Austin is right next to me and he takes his shirt off and I take my shirt off and I look at the mirror. And I look at 24-year-old Austin who still lifts weights every day and I look at 40-year-old Jay. And I look at Austin and I look at Jay and I'm like, that guy looks like he lifts weights every day and that guy likes beer and burgers. And I look at Austin and I look at Jay and I'm not kidding when I tell you my first thought inside in like a monologue to Austin was gonna be like, please step away from me, sir, right? <laughs> But then I thought about this like, long journey I've been on for like 20 years with the body. And like, one thing I believe very deeply, like, I like going to the gym these days, I like working out. It feels good to do it. One thing I believe very deeply is to remind myself when I do that, I'm not here to punish my body, to demand things of my body, to push, I'm here to honor my body. It's a very different way of walking into that space, right? I'm not there because my body owes me something. I'm not there to try to conform my body into some image that will gain the approval of a world that exploits bodies. I'm there to, to love and honor the fact that I live in this particular body. And so the point isn't to look at the mirror and like hang my head. The point is like, you know what? I'm gonna reject that line of thinking. I'm gonna just embrace the fact that this is the body that God has given me to live in and I'm gonna do my best with it. Uh, I thought too of a friend of mine named Ruthie. Um, Ruthie, uh, there's a friend of mine who, like, years ago was in a very, very, very devastating car accident. And so there's um, the fact that, like, she almost died from that accident. It was one of those situations where her odds of survival were very, very slim, but she did survive. But there were um, a number of um, just really intense surgeries, and her body had to get held together with a lot of wire, you know? Uh, her spine held together with wire. And after she came through all the pain and trauma of the car accident itself and the surgeries that saved her life, she started experiencing all new kinds of debilitating pain in her body. I mean, absolutely devastating, debilitating pain for years. Uh, at one point, you know, as she was trying to manage this pain through medication, the medication itself became a problem for her too, and she tells a lot of this story publicly. And one day they actually figured out that the wires that were holding her body together were also causing the problem because one of them was poking into her brainstem. Yeah, so not only is it painful, but that's a, that's a life-threatening risk for her. And the surgery that's going to fix it is also a life-threatening risk for her. And she goes through all of that. And so Ruthie's been on this really profound journey as a woman in a body with chronic pain and injury, trying to figure out what it means to, to take care of her body and to love her life and her body. And Ruthie uh, just recently shared this on Instagram, and I thought it was just like, really powerful, and I had her in mind in some ways when I was there at hot yoga and when I'm at the gym, people I'm learning from about what it is to honor the body. And so when I saw this on her Instagram, I took note of it and I thought I would share it with you. She said this, uh, she's referring to her and her body here. We've been on such a journey together. It's so easy for me to think about all the pain, loss, and trauma my body has experienced, but it's easy for me to forget all the incredible goodness she has also experienced. This body has been the home to so much joy laughter, play, sensuality, and beauty. I wrote my body a letter about all the different ways I've seen her over the years, from only seeing her as something that needed to be pretty and skinny and desirable, and something to control and starve, to seeing her as the home of debilitating pain and trauma, and something to numb and fix, to now remembering that she's also the home of every beautiful thing I've ever seen, felt, or experienced in this life. This body has carried me so beautifully and allowed me to see, smell, taste, feel, and sense incredible goodness 
and delight. This to me, I think, is what it means to stop exploiting our bodies and stop ignoring our bodies, but to recognize that they matter enough to God to be raised up, to be resurrected, and they should matter to us. Now, whether you know it or not, whether you see this happening in your life or not, um, what we hope for or anticipate in the future tends to shape the way that we live and the world that we build right now. This is just a fact of being human. Whether you think of yourself as a religious believer or not, whatever it is you think about the future, whatever you expect for or hope for in the future, tends to shape how we live now and the world we build right now. So to be people who say we believe in the resurrection of the body, we hope for, we trust that bodies will be raised up and carried forward in the new world that God wants to build. To be people who say that, we need to think a little bit about, like, what do we hope for from that resurrected body? You could ask, is the resurrected body a perfected body in the way that we tend to think of perfected bodies in the world that we're in right now? And I'll just, like, cut to the chase. The answer might be no. Um, that, that text that we heard from Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says that Jesus' resurrection is a first fruits of our resurrection. Uh, that's just agricultural language to say that at the beginning of a harvest season, when you want to find out what the crop is going to be like, the first fruits are the, are the early gleanings from that crop. And the character and quality of those first fruits is an indication of what's to come. That's what a first fruit is. And Paul says that Jesus' resurrection is a first fruits of our own. So take note of the peculiar character of Jesus' resurrected body. Uh, in John, one of the four biographies of Jesus, at the end of John's gospel, uh, we read about Thomas interacting with Jesus' resurrected body. Uh, the text goes like this. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This is when the G disciples first encountered the resurrected Christ. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There he's, he's referring to the wounds that Jesus sustained when he was crucified. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. A number of theologians have observed the resurrected body of Jesus doesn't erase the wounds that he sustained in his physical life on earth. Now, what you do with that is up for serious deliberation. How you think about that can raise all sorts of questions. But the reason I'm turning to it today, because as we talk about bodies that matter and bodies that get carried forward into the new world, and as we talk about our relationship to bodies in the here and now and the way that that relationship is affected by what we hope for or believe in about the future, I think it's really important to just name and show some honor to the fact that not everybody's bodies live up to the kind of ability that's been normalized or sort of set as the standard. Now, this is really important stuff because if you attribute certain bodily experiences to a fallen world, we're in dangerous territory for what that leads us toward in terms of the world that we build right now. Let me, let me turn to other examples, and then we'll come back to what I'm talking about now, okay? Um, there are evil and um, shameful threads woven into the history of the church where anti-black racism has been built 
on a, a theology, on an interpretation of Scripture that says that bodies that are black go back to a curse in the Old Testament. Now, let me be really clear. This is antichrist and evil, but this is a way that theology has been done. So those black bodies then, through this broken toxic theology, are seen as um, a problem or something less than, right? And it goes back to the storytelling about where black bodies come from. And in this evil antichrist storytelling, black bodies come from a, a curse, from, bro- from something broken back in the story, right? Uh, another version of this happens with anti-Arab racism. And there are pulpits even today where anti-Arab racism is being sourced through a reading of a story in the Old Testament uh, that I won't like, get too far into today, but that like, basically says that those bodies, that those people are here because of a moment in history where somebody failed. Now, um, what I'm saying is when you attribute a certain kind of body that shows up in the world in a certain kind of way, when you attribute that to fallenness or sin, you're laying the groundwork for prejudice. You're laying the groundwork for, for those people to be treated as less than, exploited, abused, dismissed. And because of all of that, a number of very thoughtful theologians are really wrestling with how Christians should think about disability today, or people living with disability. Um, as I move a little further into this, like obviously some, some disclaimers that are probably apparent to you. One, you know, I'm talking about an experience that isn't my own, so uh, I'm a student at best of this, and I'm just trying to learn from people who have this experience. And two, like, this is more raising questions than it is asserting points, but I think it's important to at least crack this open to be a community that thinks deeply about these things. Um, Amy Julia Becker uh, is an author who writes at the intersection of Christian faith and disability, and she uh, tells a really profound story of her own family experience. Uh, Amy and her partner gave uh, birth to their daughter Penny, who was born with Down syndrome, and that raised all kinds of questions for them about how they think about this stuff. Amy would tell you that she was raised up in Christian spaces that would have attributed Down syndrome to fallenness that this is part of a fallen or broken world, part of sin working its way out in the world. And and Amy even tells the story that when she was in the hospital, having just given birth to Penny, holding her beautiful baby girl in her arms, recognizing that she had Down syndrome, uh, she said out loud with her mother in the room, is Down syndrome a manifestation of sin? She's wrestling with that question. And her mother said to her, the only sin I see in Penny's birth is in how we respond to her. Amy goes on to point out that her mother, kind of unknowingly, was naming what's called a social theory of disability. That disability might be less about individual bodies and whether they live up to our ideals or not, and more about the world that we construct together and whether that world is able to honor and show respect to all kinds of bodies. Now that being said, um, I know that there are people living with disability who long for, hope for, pray for, and look forward to a resurrected future where their body no longer has that disability. I know that's true. And I know there are other people living with disability who see it differently. And it's, I don't even think it's my place to like, have an opinion about that. But I think it's my job, theologically up here, to expand the space that we're working around in here. And to just call out that even as we celebrate the resurrection of bodies, we should think carefully about how the kind of hoping we do about the future shapes the world we build right now and whether our theology is helping us to see one another in all of our different conditions as full human beings or not. 
And at the end of the day, I don't know if we're going to get all of our theology right around here, but I'm absolutely convinced that you're always on the wrong track when your theology is taking you away from seeing every kind of body as fully human, and you're on the right track when your theology is taking you toward seeing every kind of body as fully human. However you think about your own body today, whatever it is like for you to live in your body today, I hope we can walk together as people who believe in the resurrection toward a life together, toward a world together where all kinds of different bodies are honored and loved and held to be sacred. It's interesting, um, centuries ago, just in the third century AD, so a long, long time ago, there was a Christian thinker named Origen. And Origen had his own complicated relationship with the body. I won't get into that either, but if you know, you know. Um, but Origen had this interesting observation. So Origen is, is writing at a time that predates the Apostles' Creed as we have it now. But at the time of Origen, anybody who was being baptized into the faith would have affirmed that they believed in the resurrection of the body. That would have been part of their baptismal affirmation. And Origen points out that in the Creed, we don't say we believe in the resurrection of bodies. We believe in the resurrection of the body. And he wonders about that. And he says, could it be that what we are here to hope for is not just the resurrection of individual bodies that live up to individual standards, but rather the resurrection of a collective body where the body that's known and celebrated is the way that all of our bodies belong to each other, the way that all of our bodies are held safe with one another, the way that all of our bodies are loved in our midst. That might be a movement toward, in Origen's case, like the mystical body of Christ being raised up together, or in the case of modern questions about people living with disability, for example, of, of, of an awareness that it may not be so much that individual bodies are, uh, are not living up, as much that we collectively, in the body that we have built together, aren't living up to the mandate to honor all kinds of bodies, to create safe spaces for all kinds of bodies. Now, um, I know enough stories right here at Stop and Study Church to know that there are many complicated relationships with life and a body right here in this room. Uh, we have people here who um, are learning to delight in their body, to live with great joy in their body. Their body is a location of prayer and sacred experience. Um, I know there are those of you right now who you feel like your body is failing you, uh, whether through um, its ability or lack of ability or through disease. I know there are people in the room who um, wrestle with what they see in the mirror, people who love what they see in the mirror, um, people who walk in self-conscious about the body that you're walking around in and other people who don't even think about it twice. And even as we celebrate the resurrection of the body, if anything, I, I just hope you can hear that I think the resurrection of the body is not about you conforming, about your body living up. I think it's about your body being welcomed, loved, honored at the table with Jesus and with Jesus' people. Uh, it's interesting, just a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had baptisms. Uh, right here, there was a pool uh, in the room. And we had different kinds of bodies being buried and raised up in the water there. That, that right there is a a very, very tactile image of resurrection, right? And today we come uh, to the table for the Eucharist, which is uh, this other central practice of the church. For 2,000 years, at the center of Christian practice, at the center of it, has not been, here's an idea for your head to think about. At the center of Christian practice has been, here's a meal 
for you to eat, for you to taste and consume, because God loves bodies. So much so that at the end, they will be rescued, raised up, resurrected. Because you find out what matters by watching what gets rescued, and bodies get rescued and raised up in this story. And so today, in a moment, we'll come to the table for the Eucharist. And I hope today you can just sense that that you can bring all of yourself to this meal. Be mindful of the fact that you come to the table in a body. And I don't mean to make light of how complicated your feelings might be about your body. I don't want to make light of it. I mean to honor it, to welcome it, and say all of you in your body is welcome here. Before we come to the table, though, um, we've got a song that I think will help us uh, bring all of ourselves to this experience. And so we'll go there first. This is a new song that um, we want to offer this morning. I'm going to teach it to us. We'll come back to it after we share in the Eucharist together. Um, But as we sing this song, as we play this song, ask that you continue to reflect on the words that Jason just offered and the words of this song as we prepare to approach the table together.
So today we have the great privilege of coming to the table where God communicates God's love to us, not just through an idea, but through a meal. Where God meets you not just in the life of the mind, but in your mouth, where you are actually fed, where your body is nurtured by the God who loves bodies, all kinds of bodies. Uh, I'll pray for these elements, and as I do, I'll ask those who are gonna serve you to come up forward to the stage so that I can serve them. And then once I'm done serving them, I will invite you if you'd like to get out of your seat to go to the table or to raise a hand or to have somebody raise a hand near you and for them to come to you. But let me pray. God, we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and said that this was his body broken for us. And God, we remember that later he took a cup and that he said that this was the covenant of a new promise of your love, inexhaustible and enduring. So God, today we pray that these elements would be for us the body of Jesus given for us and for the world. We pray that as we come to this meal today in particular, whether we bring joy or frustration, sadness and wounding or um, great feeling and hope, I pray that we would meet you in the body, uh, both of this meal that we eat and the bodies that we walk around in and um, the bodies that serve us today. I pray these things through Christ and we all said, body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Well, as we finish our time together here, we're gonna sing a little bit of that song uh, that we just sang. So if you're able, would you stand and join us as we sing together?
So may we look forward to the resurrection of the body. And may we trust that God loves bodies enough to raise them up. May we build a world in our midst where all kinds of bodies are loved and honored. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.